ladies and gentlemen, welcome Dante Winslow and the Winslow Dynasty. Peace and blessings to your family. I do hope all is well. My name is Marcella Chapard, the bass man, and welcome to another edition of Cool Jazz Conversations. I am totally excited to be talking to this brother because he is one that I have known for quite a while. And this brother is unlike any other in the biz today because not only is he an incredible trumpeter and musician and arranger, composer, he's an incredible father and husband as well, which I hold dear to my heart. I am glad to call him a friend. Please welcome to Cool Jazz Conversations, none other than Dante Winslow. Good brother, always a pleasure to put eyes on you, man. How you doing? Thank you. I am a blessed man, one of the most blessed men on earth. Thanks for having me here. Hey, man. I appreciate that, you. Yes, yes, yes. Out there in L.A. So what's, what's, the, yeah. what's the buzz in L.A. these days? You know, po- yeah. well, you can't even say post-COVID because, you know, we're we still in the thick of this thing with this Delta variant and everything. Oh, we, we're, we're in the thick of it. Um, the buzz is be safe, stay alive, stay prayed up, keep your mask on and went around others. That's the buzz right now. Survival and, and I guess spiritually trying to thrive and affect as many people as possible while physically not harming them. I think that's what's on, at least that's what's on my mind. I think that's what's on a lot of people's mind right now. Um, musically speaking, uh, the West Coast is jamming. You know, I just did a gig uh, last week in the Newport Jazz Festival with Kamasi Washington. Yes. He's LA's finest. He's on fire. He's flaming. We did a bunch of records together. He played on my new record, um, Walking Art. I played on his new record, and I have it in Earth. And, you know, he's, he's the flame out here in LA, around the world too, but yes. he's LA's proud golden child. Um, him and Terrace Martin are like what I was to the East Coast of Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, it's beautiful to come to another city and be welcomed in with open arms and appreciated in the same way that I was appreciated back before. Yeah, that, that West Coast get down is is an amazing conglomerate of, of musicians yeah. and uh, some and incredible Arvin. music has, has come out of you guys. So, you know, we're all grateful for uh, you all being together, man. But you know what, before we even hop fully into the music, man, let me um, take a few moments and say congratulations to you because you've been busy in more ways than one during the pandemic. So much yes. so that there is an yes. addition to the Winslow Dynasty, man. Fire, tell us all about it. Yes, man. Fire is here. Oh my God. Well, I guess it's with 2018. 2019, I think I had a dream and I wrote it in my text notes. I write everything on my dream that I had a girl named Fire. This dream is me and Mashika. We're like on the cover of some black angling like jet or something. We're in all white by an infinity pool. It's me and all these kids. And um, I remember telling her, you know, one of these young ladies, her name was Fire. It's almost like she told me her name, but she didn't say it with a voice. She said it in the spirit. Hmm. It was known throughout the world in the dream that her name was Fire. And so I came away with the impression that, oh, she's my daughter. Her name is Fire. And um, everybody's going to know her. So I woke up out of the dream um, and I had a picture of her. And I said, uh, you know, she could 
you know, I have a girl, her name is Fire, and she let me know in the dream already. She said, boy, you crazy, because, you know, we over 40, and we like, we ain't having no more kids. We already got two, so we straight. We right, right, right. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that those, those them's is just jokes. <laughs> so I put it in my text notes, so and then think about it, you know, and then COVID happened. For COVID, I did some really fantastic gigs, Super Bowl and Kobe, and um, did the um, M&M's Oscars, and it was real busy, and then everything calmed down, and, and you know, we stuck in the house, of course. We started doing a uh, sort of a podcast, a Instagram uh, night every week where we would talk about relationships, me and Mashika. And we call it um, Win Slow with the Winslows. So if you want to win slow, like we do with the Winslows, come and tune in and we would talk about yes. love every Friday, every Friday. Talk about love and love. And then we would go to the beach every week. Uh, and I only escaped from the, the horrors of COVID, you know, the danger, getting sick, all of our mentors and friends passing around us every day, people are dying. Or, so our only escape from that mental and psychological trauma was going to Malibu Beach and just looking at the water. So every Friday we have a date night, you know, and we leave the kids and we go spend time with each other, look at the water, talk, connect, um, revitalize our relationship, maybe eat some food. And then you know, and she was looking fantastic as you know, and I'm lo- and we're learning each other again with loving now, you know. A lot of people lost their relationship and got divorced on COVID, as we know, because it forced people to grow together or grow apart. We yeah. all felt it. And fortunately, we were blessed to grow closer and closer and closer. And she was she's always becoming more fine to me. I'm married 21 years now. Thank God. Congrats, and it's been getting better over time. Almost like how they say wine yeah, ages, ages and it gets better. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Age brings taste and it brings refinement. Mm. brings deeper understanding and so as i understood this woman more and she's understanding me and i'm listening to her more i become more attracted and the love making just became incredible and i mean we did not plan fire but i felt like the dream and then my wife turning up and me being more passionate about her it happened out of nowhere Mm. she surprised us and came i'm like oh she showed me the thing. I'm pregnant. I said, oh, she was going to come here anyway. Oh, like, you wanted to be here, young lady. And so uh, to speed the story up, she's here now um, in, a, in an amazing pregnancy. I, I actually did a home birth. And the doula and midwife planned to be there, even though the midwife said, I probably won't make it because her name is fire. She's going to plan how she's going to come. She <laughs> comes in a dream. She tells you her name. She's going to plan her own birth. Right. And show enough. She comes to her father, so we're in the bathroom, and I and I deliver her myself without oh the my or the doula, bro. Wow. So I'm like, what a miracle! And I have no time to think; I have to use instincts. I'm like, what the? I'm just trying to fall call. I'm like, that's a head. So I just grab the head, grab the body, twist, bring her up back to the mom, and then we go to the floor to deliver the placenta. And by that time, maybe an hour later, the um the midwife came so it was just me and the mom and her and that was very spiritual for us to be alone together at wow. that time it's like the little girl said i will come in a dream i'll tell you the name and you will catch me end of story <laughs> incredible man you, you know how blessed you are to experience that with your wife and in that way like you you can't even write that you know and that intimate way Yes, close. No, you can't. You couldn't have planned it. No, <laughs> you, you, you couldn't have planned it at all. Deep and personal moment. Yeah, 
Wow. Well, congratulations to you. Congrats to Mashika. You know, I have love for her. She and I go back to singing together uh, at the Morgan State University Choir under Dr. Nathan Carter. So, under Dr. Carter. Yeah, 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 man. So. Let's let's talk about our dear Baltimore, if you will. You know, you born and raised in, in the Baltimore streets, home of of some of the best crab cakes uh, you will ever have in your life. But also in the world. <laughs> and, yeah, in, in the world. But Baltimore also home of of currently one of the highest murder rates in the country as well, right? The the sad part about it. Uh, what what side of Be More did you come up on, bro? For those that don't know, West Side, North of Pulaski. North um, of Pulaski. I grew up around that area. Yes, uh, it was a real rough neighborhood, and um, I love the house I grew up in. And it's, I want to buy it one day to own it and make it a museum or something. Hmm. Um, it was a it was a tough time growing up playing an instrument in the city that I felt like didn't respect the arts and didn't nurture young. Uh, creatives like myself, um, young, sensitive kids, kids who didn't want to live the street life that they were surrounded with. And so, um, as you know, Baltimore is a tough city, kind of like other tough um, water, uh, I said blue collar towns that are by the water. Um, Detroit is another one, New Orleans, cities where, you know, with this franchise youth, are not encouraged to follow their dreams financially. Um, they're not supported by their local government. It's, um, a lot of lip service is done, but not a lot of action. And so it's unfortunate that you know I always felt like if I was a billionaire, I would I would build you know recreation centers, which they've taken them now, but places where kids could go and learn location and learn activities after school. Sometimes just be babysat. There's a lot of kids don't have parents. Um, the parents got to work. Where the parents need to be on welfare, they can't be able to feed the kid. The kids don't have kid doesn't have nutrition. They don't have outlets after school. You know, I would create something like, you know, go kart riding or, or or dirt bike riding. You know, they, people do it illegally in the street, but I would make it then some kind do. of legal festival competition, some yeah. kind of Olympic. Some, I mean, kids need so much activity to not get in trouble and to have good mentors to want to follow their dreams. Um, I wonder why, how kids can even want to be positive in a world that doesn't seem to care about them at all. Hmm. Um, so growing up under that for me was especially trying. I saw many of the men in my family um, either die or go to jail and try to make it out that system, but the system trapped them. For me, I think it was a blessing. I think God touched me divinely to live long enough to tell my story and send the message um, to some young people who want to try to, to never give up and keep going after your goals and be as positive as you can be. Although I know sometimes negativity befalls you um, without you wanting it to. Um, there are kids who suffer abuse, as I had, kids who suffer poverty and suffer all kinds of trauma. Um, for me, it was faith. Like I think God entered my life at a later age and inspired me to, to dream big, to love hard. I haven't lost the love, the innocence and the compassion I have as a man. Even though I've been through some of life's worst trauma, I've maintained a sense of love for my fellow man, um, love for my parents who sometimes neglected me, um, love for um, for people in general. And you can you can lose that. 
you know, which will be a detriment to the world. You can lose that when you, you, know, you suffer the abuse. Of, um, so coming up from Baltimore was rough. It was rough. And, and I still love the city. You know, mm -hmm. I still believe in the, the young people there. I remember teaching there at Gilmore Elementary. I taught school for three oh, years. Man. What I learned from the kids, Gilmore gone through some of the things too. I had gone through younger than I was. Gilmore rough. That's a rough part of town. Mm -hmm. And but the kids, though, when you look in their eyes and you see the light, you see the purity like I see in my children. You see, I am one of God's gifts. I am yes. greatness. I am I am holiness manifested in flesh. When I see that in little children, that gives me power. That gives me impetus to fight. That gives me the, the will to to feel like, you know what? We can't we can't let go of these kids. Now, there will always be kids who are privileged, kids who grow up with parents, or kids who grow up with advantages and opportunities, and some of them will make it a little easier. But we can't let go of the kids who are in the trap, you know, kids who are in the situation where the odds are against them. Because some of these people, too, will be our brightest lights. They'll be our yes. Marcus Garvey's, our James Baldwin. You know, they will be, you know, our Michelle Obama's. And so we got to always look back to try to find out, you know, where, where are the lights? I mean, all kids are beautiful lights, but where are the ones who will, despite the odds, break through and then change the world in a way that they affect more people. That's what I'm always searching for when I think about my city. So I think musically, you know, what makes my music special, um, what makes my heart special is coming from a place that presses down, but I always rise above it. Oh man. You know, I always, yeah. I always show, show uh, affirmation in the face of adversity. And, you know, you've, you've always lived your life as an open book, Dante, and, and I've always appreciated always. that. And, uh, you know, through sharing your story, I know you have helped so many people out there. So God bless you for it, man. But as it as it came to your musical journey, what was it about the, the trumpet that gravitated you towards it? Or was there a person in particular that, you know, grabbed that bad boy and, and reached out and handed it to you and said, this, this is the way, this is the life. <laughs> no, I think it was more a funny incident of my best friend, Richard White, uh, who's an amazing musician now, Dr. White, who plays tuba. We went to all our schools together, Peabody Conservatory School for Austin, Paul Staff Middle School and Cross Country Elementary. And when we were in the fifth grade, I remember him playing in band and I saw some of the cute girls and smart kids playing in band. I always wanted to play in band to be around the top echelon of kids in my school. And I wanted to play flute. He said, no, man, play the trumpet. It only has three vowels. It's easy. I picked up the trumpet then and I never let it go. Um, it turned out to be an instrument that was definitely not easy, um, but it's an instrument that requires um, stick-to-itiveness. It requires a tenacity. Um, beyond most people's expectation. And I think, it, but it teaches though, it teaches you to hold on, to have hope. It teaches you humility because it's very unforgiving. The trumpet is like a wife. You have to practice it every day. You have to stay with it. You can't live it alone. You can't make it. Like you can't, you can't have two, there, yeah, there's not two or three days on earth that a, a serious trumpet player hasn't touched his instrument. So imagine doing a thing that you never can leave it alone. And if you do leave it alone, it gets worse for you. It's like being a highly conditioned athlete your entire life. Yes, yeah, sports people do it until they're 30, but they retire. Even a trumpet player can't stop if you want to be good. So it 
it has like a real weird way of teaching you yeah, never let your eyes off the ball. Never let your eyes. And if you do, I'll show the world that all your work you've previously done equals nothing. Wow. So that's that's like an important lesson. You know, I don't care how good you sounded last year. If you leave me alone for one week, I'll make you sound like the third grade. And then your brand and your reputation will mean nothing. So don't mm -hmm. let me go. If you apply that to all aspects of your life, you will learn from the trumpet that you can not let anything go that you care about you can't you can't you have to dot your eyes across your teeth uh on all important issues i mean this happens to be an instrument that has fed my family and allowed me to succeed in california and allowed me to be renowned around the world but um it also teaches me not to neglect my kid not to neglect my woman not to neglect my health not to neglect my focus on god the, the transfer of learning goes across all of those areas so you you just opened up something here. I mean, is is the trumpet the new Doctor Phil? Uh, you know, it, it can heal relationships. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, it, it's it's a it's a spiritual instrument, and I feel like you know it's been cathartic for me. Um, I was a child who grew up, you know, through molestation and through rape through my mother being raped, through my mother abusing drugs, and in the worst parts of my life, whenever I felt down, whenever I wanted to commit suicide, whenever I wanted to leave this earth or give up or destroy myself, I went to the instrument and I played a note, blowing that wind, that spiritual wind, that breath. Mm. It heals the frequencies that it's affecting, but it also heals the person who's doing the blowing. Wow. Two-way street. It's a yin and yang to that. And so you blow out and you heal the person listening, but then you are also healed. And it's a prophetic word that was said over my life that I would play before kings and princes, um, but I would also blow through something and I would heal the world. And I would, you know, raise people from dead, heal sicknesses and diseases. That's a prophetic word that's been coming true, it's still coming true. So for me, the trumpet, more, more than career and accolades, for me, the trumpet is deeply spiritual and it is prophetic for me to play it. I was born to do it. I was born for adversity. I was born to put adversity under my foot. And then I was born to blow into the world and heal the world of illnesses, sicknesses, and disease. That is so That's powerful, man. So powerful. So, so looking back then, what, was there any other instrument that you felt a calling towards? No, I like to listen to guitar. I play some piano when I'm writing and composing. Um, I love the Erhu Chinese violin instrument, love cello, I love writing for orchestra. Um, but the trumpet is the one that makes me cry and it's the one that calls me every day, yeah. every day. Yeah, and you truly are one of the purest trumpeters out there, I mean, when, even before I see you on stage, Thank I you. hear you on stage. And as you've mentioned, I mean, it's not a stage that you have not been on, man, mm -hmm. whether it's with Alicia Keys, you know, uh, conducting an orchestra or 
touring, of course, with Justin Timberlake or being with Kamasi or being in the studio with Dr. Dre, man. Brother, you are so blessed, man. My gosh. And then just so talented. Like, not everybody can say that they keep the kind of company that you keep. And you keep that company in different levels. For some, it's just you playing. Mm -hmm. For others, it's you writing. Then it's you conducting. You know, you you are the total package. And I don't want that to be overlooked, man. You are one incredible human being, Dante. Truly. I thank you so much for that blessing, man. It it is tough to keep and I try to practice each discipline. I am very blessed, um, honored, um, and lucky to be in different rooms with A-list artists who request my service to God. I mean, God would only put me in those rooms if he wanted me to be a light. Um, and I am a light. And how my light affects them, I believe, is beyond my music. And that's why I'm in the room. <laughs> Even though music is, is, is nice, and, it, and it, on the surface, it gets you there. But right. I think we're at... We're, uh, we're doing more spiritual tasks, uh, even though we think we're doing just musical tasks. Wow. So in Charm City, Baltimore School of the Arts, then over to the Peabody Conservatory for Music. Mm-hmm. Where did this love for conducting and composing come from? That's interesting you should say that. When I was on North Avenue at 12 years old and seeing the drug dealers kill people and seeing people sling outside the house, and you know, I was the weird nerdy kid listening to Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky. Hmm. Um, I was always attracted to European classical music as a kid. Uh, yeah, movie music was cool and I thought that was nice, but even more serious program classical music, for some reason, the emotion of it touched me. Um, I would listen to symphonies all day and I felt like, you know, sometimes you feel like you're a part of something, even though you don't know much about where it comes from. You can, if you're a being, you can feel that you are stretched and a part of a knowing that's beyond you. Like you can see something happen on another side of the world and identify with it. Um, That kind of empathy, I feel like an empath. And that part of me made me know that, oh, not going to be glued to one style of music because I empathize with different kinds of humans with different emotional backgrounds and so that emotion touched me deeply I pursued it um, in band I, I started getting goosebumps and I got goosebumps from classical music from Michael Jackson from listening to Ron DMC it's like all these different styles were hitting me at once jazz was the last thing I fell in love with not until like maybe ninth grade listening to Clifford Brown you know Lee Morgan and then later Miles Davis and Train I said oh this improvisational music is, is on a high level as well, and it's emotional in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so falling in love with all of them, um, the middle school and then high school, let me know that, okay, I want to be classical player first. My friend Ian Johnson, he was like, man, you, you black cat, you're probably not going to make it in classical, you know, if that's only for white people, man. Just go ahead and put, play jazz, which, you know, which is some truth to that. I mean, you know, because it's difficult to get in the orchestra if you're African-American, but if you're really good, it can happen, but you still be the anomaly, you might be the token. Um, but he just said the creative part, you'll get to express yourself as a composer, you know, even in classical music, they still play music of dead men from a thousand years ago. They don't play modern men's music as much. And so in jazz, you'll at least better compose and have it played in your lifetime and, and respected um, in the concert hall. So I say, yeah, there's some truth to that. So I begin studying jazz more so, and I've always written raps. I've been rapping since fifth grade, so run DMCs and Houdinis and UTFOs and Fat Boys, Rakim, those guys were my heroes. And so 
writing stories was always important to me. So I guess I would figure in high school, I would be a cat that would write stories, play the trumpet and compose music. Gary Thomas was a big influence on me. He met me in ninth grade, gave me lessons. He heard me in the back in Sportsman's Lounge. One of my mentors, him, Mr. Witt, Mickey Fields, all the great Baltimore musicians. They would support me and pour into me. And Gary took me over to the house one time, taught me how to play two five ones. I thought he was bringing me there to put me on an album. <laughs> I was like, I'm not here to be a record star. He said, man, you don't know anything. Which was so funny when somebody call you who's already a recording artist and you think they're gonna blow you up and they only calling you to sit you down. But what, what it was good though, because it kind of taught me like, when you're young and people, young young people are like that today, you, you, you think you know so much and you think you're ready but you're really not ready. Yeah. You know, you're not ready at all. And uh, um, yeah, but um, so I think that um, after Gary taught me and gave me those lessons, I got really, really serious. Started going to jam sessions, sitting in all the time. And I started to get better, get some notoriety around the city, getting my own gigs, playing in nightclubs, making $50. I'm playing until three or four in the morning, getting up and going to school. And that kind of gave me something to focus in on too, while other kids are running the street, stealing cars, um, robbing people. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna put all my energy into this trumpet. Um, some kids did sports, you know, some kids played chosen um, academics and I chose, you know, music. And I was, I was always a straight A student anyway, but music just called me emotionally. And I think it was a way for me to escape what I was seeing around me on North Avenue. Wow, incredible, man. So two things you just talked about number one uh the trumpeters and we'll come back to them but on the conducting side let's let's talk about the time you spent with um soulful symphony and darren atwater mm-hmm. how how did your time with him affect you as as far as your uh composing and directing is concerned it was a great impact um i think like i said i love class music since middle high school my teacher thought i would be a composer then she said i think you're a better composer even than a trumpet player i said she said you hear music well you always got straight a's and a music theory music form and analysis mm-hmm. and so when i went to peabody i got a chance to play in the orchestra there i played first trumpet in the peabody symphony in my grad years and i played wind ensemble in undergrad and i got used to playing you know in the in an orchestral setting which let me hear the violins over here and the French horns over here, trombones behind you, and to hear that texture and that amount of sound in a room of 50 to 90 people. It was just mesmerizing. And under Dr. Nathan Carter, he would do a bunch of shows when I was at School of Yards. We sang with Morgan. We sang with the symphony, the BSO. So being able to sing, we did Mahler 8, I remember, Symphony of a Thousand with the Baltimore Symphony. And hearing the brass section up close was just mesmerizing to me. So those exposures to the orchestra being in high school first as a singer with the choir, Nathan Carter, virtuoso, taught us so much about passion and diction and phrasing. He was a master of that, as you well know. He could hear so he, everything. He everything. And yeah. he was the, for me, he was the impetus for my passion and excellence because yeah. he told me to care about every phrase. Don't let a phrase go. So yeah. he was the first influence for me of how to sculpt a phrase and why. Hmm. So that's ninth grade. I had him for four years. Then Peabody playing an orchestra. Then after the college, um, playing with Soul Symphony, um, hearing an orchestra full of African-American musicians who play music a little differently with fervor and zest and some fire and emotion and the experience of you know being the descendants of slaves that has an effect on how you approach an instrument 
um, Darren being a great- for, the, for those that don't know, Soulful Symphony, all black orchestra. All black, black orchestra. Yeah. yeah. And a lot Incredible. of the Negro spirituals rearranged yes. the orchestra, touched the lives of so many people, people from church who had maybe not experienced an orchestra got a chance to hear their style of African-American music in an orchestral setting. Mm. And we would get standing standing ovations all the time. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes we would fuse it with popular songs and that things of that nature. But Darren being such an outstanding arranger um, and composer, I got to hear, you know, a brother my age compose music on that caliber and have it done at the top level, you know, with black musicians. That was a big deal for the 2000s that had not been done. Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen that in my lifetime. And so we did so for maybe 20 years. I performed in it at least 17 of those 20. Uh, I moved to LA. I was still with Soulful Symphony, but people started hiring me to do, I first started with Queen Latifah, toured with her, started doing arrangements for Queen Latifah, um, Lauren Hill, D'Angelo. Uh, I moved on to Jill Scott. Uh, then, you know, Lady A and Justin, and people would call me to record and do horn arrangements and eventually string arrangements. So I said, wait a minute, uh, Mary Mary, that's what I started playing with first. I would record on their records. And I, they did a bunch of gold and platinum albums. Get Up as one of them, I did a horn arrangement on. Hmm. And the producers started calling me, um, kind of like how Quincy called different arrangers. The producers in LA would call me to come and do a string or horn arrangement. And I started doing that and I felt, I felt like I loved it. I called my teachers like Mr. Wood Williams and said, hey man, I'm doing a big band arrangement of a gospel tune. That was Murray Murray's um, biggest, greatest thing, which from their gold album, I arranged that and played trumpet solo. That was my one of my first big gigs in uh, 2005. Um, and then Kanye West, I did We Major from his late registration album, Horns, and wrote that sample. And then Jay-Z, I made it. So when I first moved to LA, like a year later, the miracle started opening up. And becoming a string arranger kind of allowed me to access that child part of me that loved classical music. Well, here I am studying scores, listening to Mahler and Dvorak and Brahms and studying the things that we learned under Dr. Carter again, you know, some 20 years later. So it's full like, circle. it was all it, full circle. It was already in me, but it was a chance yeah. for me to investigate something that would be a part of my later life. And as I now pursue film composing, composing for movies, again, I'm digging into the orchestra. I'm digging into multi-hybrid music, which could compose black music which is you know jazz hip-hop funk blues and then i'm melding that with classical music like i do on my record so it's almost like all the skill sets i've built up for the last 30 years are now coming into play in hollywood um, as i give them my soul Baltimore version but also my educated um i would say uh refined version of um orchestral music and mixing those mm. two things together to to address the screen you so stay ready that. you stay ready so you <laughs> don't have to get ready right let me tell you even in covid man when people were stuck in the house and we couldn't tour um i've been since i've been recording using technology for the last 15 years uh, maybe 20 years um, i was able to still do projects for other people um with the computer you know i right. range in the computer I record in the computer, I get parts from other musicians. Everybody wanted up doing it, even Hollywood music um, composers and the most elite musicians with the biggest studios. No one could come in the same room and play instruments. Right. So they had to remote, remotely record and put things together. People do it on YouTube all the time as far as video, but doing it for um, high level audiophile music um, is not something I don't think everybody was prepared to do worldwide. Right. 
Right. But since I had been doing it, it was an easy transition for me. Hmm. Um, and I and I would hope that I could continue to do that. I would love to just score films right from the home. You know, and I want to use the orchestra. I can do that. I just have everybody play their parts at home, put it in the file, you know, until we can get all back in the same room. Mix it all together. And as far as composing for film is concerned, you studied under the GOAT, Terrence Blanchard. How, how yes. was that, man? And Herbie. You know, I mean, come on. Terrence Herbie. Yeah, yeah, wrong crowd. I had I had yeah. great teachers when I moved to LA. Um, Dr. Margaret DeRoe, gospel songwriter, Jeremy Lubbock, legendary platinum string arranger for Celine Dion, Michael Jackson. I had the best teachers when I moved to LA. I made sure that I would find who who was on the records when I lived in Baltimore. You know, Gary Grant played with Michael Jackson, horn player. Terrence scored all the films since I was in high school. And um I learned a lot from each one of them that helps me out today. And I think that a lot of kids today, they may be a little arrogant or maybe misguided in thinking they have it all because you can have a hit song and you don't need people to like get on the radio if you got the money to pay. Um, but there's something about knowing what you're doing that's a benefit to me. You know, there's something about the, I like to know the knowledge of craft. And I think a lot of young people may be missing that or the desire for it. You know, maybe they're not missing it. Maybe they don't have the desire to investigate what are the building blocks of great craft. And I think mm-hmm. if you if you choose that path um, and not the fast road, you may end up lasting longer. A lot of people come out the gate running, but they don't make it past the 20 and 30 year mark. Oh, and um, I think sometimes craft can get you there, you know, just knowing and wanting to know about the history of music or whatever um, discipline you're in. Um, connecting with the elders, your mentors who've done it before you and seeing what it takes, how'd you get there, um, what makes it great, how many hours a day do you investigate, um, what's your belief system, what's your discipline. Um, I think all of that is so important. I learned something something for Terrence. Um, One of the greatest lessons I learned from him as a composer is um, always serve the film, don't serve your ego. Wow. And then my first job was with Robert Townsend. I scored a film for him in the high. And the greatest lesson I learned from him was my first employer as a film composer was always write the music and allow it to come out of the character. In other words, don't look at a screen, uh, a script or look at a scene and just start writing anything because you think music belongs there. Music doesn't enter the picture, into the character or the character's attitude invoke something right. so he said music music comes out of the character just not out of thin air and man that is certainly well yeah you have to follow that that path of character development you know which yeah. is so yeah. powerful you know i know yes. for me for any any character that i'm going to play you know they give us mm-hmm. a short backstory on them but it is mm-hmm. truly up to the actor to the artist to decipher and, and go through the different layers you know who is this person really? Where did they grow up? What is it that they ate for right. breakfast? What is it that they really don't like? What is it that they're afraid That's of right. in life? You know, right. and, the and, what, war, and what do they want? Right, What what is my scene objective? That's what that's called. What is my scene? What is it that I want out of this scene? What is it that I want from you? And yeah, that, that music has to marry that, that feeling and uh, yeah, man, it's it's so beautiful when you when you watch a film and and the music fits, you it know, is. just perfectly. It's a tear jerking moment. 
It's a tear oh, yes. it's, it's it's the moment you know when you cry, and I cry from films a lot. Um, Me too, Brad. When that when that happens, you know the emotions are right, and it doesn't. It's not about how tricky the music is. It's about doing or saying the right thing at the right time. It's like being with your lady. I, I describe everything like love making. When it's right, you don't have to try hard. You just let it happen. <laughs> wow. Wow, man! If you guys are just tuning in, this is this is the greatest of the greats right here, my good friend Dante Winslow, and it's it's always a pleasure to be in your company, man. You you spewed off uh, a quadri of artists and all of these different genres of music. What would you say has has been the the most rewarding relationship? Let's go with that. The most rewarding relationship that you've had with an artist to date. What kind of artist? That's up to you. Like I said, you you have artists across discipline, so you know. Jesus, rewarding. Yeah. I would say with Mashika Winslow, my wife. With your wife, Bob. Ding, yeah, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah, because that's my soulmate. But you know, we performed together. We've been doing it since you know 1998, and mm. I just learned from her. I I did a game with Kamasi, and I did the Soulful Symphony. Some of my best performances have been from her advice. From which wow. she has been raised around her mother, the great Shark Hunt singer. Um, she's from the Hunt family um, that goes back into the tradition of Southern Maryland, into the slave days of great singers. And the Holy Spirit and the gospel background that she had, is, that she's kind of informed me of, that I have, that she's taught me about, that she's um, kind of drilled the importance of emotion stage presence affecting the audience removing yourself and ego letting god speak through you i mean you can't get deeper than that in terms of performance all the lights and cameras and hoopla that you may see on stage is not been with great great artists but um i haven't stood on stage with anybody greater than Michelle winslow wow that's powerful not in terms man. of not in terms of affecting people and if you've seen us perform and you've seen her go to the people i mean it's deeper than music like i say it's frequencies and it's vibrations. Yes. Um, anybody can, somebody can look in your face and say, hey, I love you, man. And they leave and they'll, they'll shoot you the next day or they hate you. They'll, right. they'll rob your mother. But somebody can look in your face and say, I love you, Marcellus. Yeah. And you see the eye contact and you feel the spiritual vibration and you wouldn't be able to tell me on paper the difference between the two. Right. Because it's not something you can write. It's something you feel. Right. It's something you intuitively assess on a spiritual level and music is much like that there are vibrations that are coming off of artists people who believe what they say live what they talk about and genuinely want a transformation to take place that is what she that is what i that is what we buy for on stage some people are just getting a check some people are just wham bam thank you man they're just playing an instrument some people are just having fun and yeah we're having fun too but there's always a higher level spiritual goal or a way of being a conduit for mm. source, mm. conduit for God, a conduit um, to heal and to change all I want to be a part of when it comes to music or the performing arts in any way. Um, and so for me, that I, learning more about that is what I'm all about. The other stuff, uh, you can throw that away. I mean, lights, camera, action, music, videos, songs, radio, that's one thing. But the live, being in front of a person, changing their life in real time, 
is the most powerful thing you can do because other than that, you're just dead. I mean, you're either you're living or you're not living. And if you are living, <laughs> and if you are living, it is your duty to affect other living souls. Wow. And the only way you can do it is with a sincere heart. Wow. Being a conduit, so powerful. And you know, my mantra has always been, if, I, if you're not growing, you're dying. And it has been a pleasure to watch you grow, to watch Sheikah grow. And, and let's be clear, there's some flash that comes along with Dante Winslow as well, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, from from the red bell, you know, your own trumpet, yeah. You know, you you got line, yeah. old bangles going, the the taco meat out. You ain't got a lot there, but you are <laughs> doing your push ups, so you you stay ready. You know, there's, yeah. there's some flash I'll there. Stay ready. But at the end of the day, yeah. you truly are a conduit, and you know, you yeah, have fun. Question. There is some flash there, but you are touching people's lives. And, and that's so powerful and that cannot be said about everybody out there. So it, it goes a long, long way, man. Thank you, brother. And thank you for being so supportive of me. I would not, when I was in Baltimore, I have new songs or new music and say, can I come to the station? And you never denied me once. You never said right. no, or I can't, or I'm too busy. And so I always appreciated you for pouring into a young brother and accepting what I had to say to the world because it's not easy coming up as an independent artist, not having the corporate backing, um, not having the financial means by which to be on every station all around the world at the same time. And so it was important for not only college radio, for young black men to support other young black men and give them a voice, give them a window to, to really just reach other people. It's not like coming to the radio will get you a million dollars, but it right. will get you heard and it will get people in the venue so you can help lots. So you help me help change other people's lives. People would sit home and say, I was sick in the bed and I just heard your music on 8049. Well, my father, who was homeless walking the streets of Baltimore, would say they playing Dante Winslow on wow. 8049. You know what I mean? So you don't, when you do things, you actually don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So that's why it's important to react by the spirit. Whatever in the spirit said, I should help this young man. I should. You think you're helping me, but you're really helping a thousand other people. You know, wow. which is why I pay it forward is so important. Some people don't do things because of ego and selfishness. They feel like, nah, I can't. I can't give you much because I'm gonna take from me, brother. You you you're taking from yourself. You giving me is giving you. That's the way God set it up from the beginning. Yeah. But some people. Some people miss that point. So I just want to say thank you and give you your props for helping a brother and you didn't have to. Brother, I appreciate it, man. And for me, you know, I, I wanted to thank you for, for always being there for me whenever I picked up the phone. You know, you okay. talk about being a conduit. For me, it's always about opening the door because mm. there are so many times in our lives when somebody did not open the door for whatever reason. Yes. You know, whether it was it was self-serving or not, you know, but for me, I'm always going to open the door, if not wide, just enough for you to creep through, bust through whatever it is so that you can get your message out to the masses, right to the world. So that being a conduit is so very important. And uh, I wouldn't be here today. Yes, it is if someone didn't open the door for me. So I'm always going to open the door for the next person Amazing. and try to teach and, and mentor and show them the way. Speaking of mentorship, uh, a couple of years ago, we uh, unfortunately lost a former mentor of yours, the great Roy Hargrove. If you don't mind, mm. just uh, share a few words 
on Roy and, and what he meant to you as uh, not only a mentor, but as a trumpeter and most likely uh, as a friend? Wow. I met Roy when I was 14 and he was 18, a student at Berkeley College. Boston. I was at the School for the Arts and he came down with my great mentor, Antonio Hart, who was an alumni of um, School for the Arts, saxophone player, and he brought Roy down in the band. They were in a band called No Corporate Rubbish. You can look it up. Um, with Delphel Marsalis, and they blew the hell out of that recital hall um, downtown Madison Avenue, and I never heard. I was just telling somebody the other day, Roy's coming out with a book, by the way. Um, nice. Um, and Roy sounded like, he looked like a hip-hop rapper. Shorter mm -hmm. than me, glasses, 90s hip-hop clothes, baggy jeans, but played the trumpet like Dizzy Gillespie. I mean, it was loud, fireful, Lee Morgan, Dizzy. I was like, how the hell is that coming out of that little body? He's so little. Yeah. And he's like my age. I mean, he's four years older, but he's like, I, I couldn't have fathom that a kid could do that. And I mean, like, it's not pre I thought like somebody was playing a tape. It, it was so ethereal and mm. surreal what this kid was doing at his age, the maturity. He wasn't trying to play jazz. He was jazz. He was black art manifesting yes. the flesh. He had a little church, a little gospel in it too. And that changed my life. I then heard him a year later at Howard University. I went backstage and made sure that I'd meet, would meet him. And I played public eye, a solo to him, his own transcription in the bathroom. I said, right, you got to come to the bathroom. He's talking to girls, trying to get his Mac on. I said, no, man, you got to come to the bathroom. And he's like, all right, man, goodness, you kid getting on my nerves. Right. So I said, yeah, you came to my school last year. I met you and I played your solo. You had an album come out. I played uh, public eye to him. And then uh, he gave me his number. I never forget New York number 212. I was like, huh? I got Roy Harper's number. And I was so excited. I went home and taped it to my wall and wrote it everywhere and just would call him every week. And I used to take trips to New York on a bus to Greyhound, $50, um, right from downtown, and just spend weekends with Roy while I was in high school. Then when I left, I went to New York and like, stayed with him, studied with him. When I went to the new school, we became like great friends. He was a great mentor. And um, he put an album out in high school. And I thought like, wow, the kid was just doing a recital at 18. Now I have a record deal. He's like 19, going down the road. I'm like, how can a kid, it was beyond me, how can a kid have a record deal? You know, I, this is blew my mind for the trumpet. But he was so far beyond his years. He was like a man, but he was like an old soul. It's like he had been here before. Yeah. Even when I went to his house and spent weekends, Holiday and Winoni Harris and Duke Ellington and, and Rex Stewart, listen wow. to old cats and walking around. I'm like, so you really like this stuff. Like, you don't just like it, you live it. it. You live it and you knew the, the names and the dates and who did what, you know, then he'll play some public enemy and Dr. Dre at the time. Um, but he was really stuck on the tradition. He was, he was such a good, um, for us, he was the link between the old cats and the new generation. Yeah. He was big on respect of your elders and, and study with, you know, Jimmy Heath and Sonny Rollins. He listened to these cats, go support him and listen. He would take me to jazz shows and listen to the older cats, um, Buster Williams, and mm. uh, who was one of my favorite piano players, uh, John, uh, John, um, Hicks. Um, John Hicks, yes, okay. take me to see John Hicks, who we loved, and he, he was just was killing, you know, he was into that, he was great, I would say, man, you know, you like to check out some younger cats, you know, 
He said, ah, not too much. You know, he never listened to young cats. He always wow. listened. It's almost like he had a rule. I listen to people from the black and white era, or I listen to people that are um, 40 and over. <laughs> wow. You know, it was like an unspoken rule. So it was like, wow. So he was just that dude. Um, I've never seen him lost in a song. I've never seen him. He, he had perfect rhythm. He could hear a song once, then he knew the chord changes. Mm. Um, I've never seen him not know a standard. Uh, his pitch, was he had perfect pitch, great ears. Um, he used to do these recordings at home when I would go visit him. He had a four-track task game recorded. He'd play one line, do that, do that, do do a little beat on the 808 drum machine. And I said, oh my God, this is amazing, amazing. Layer trumpet harmonies. And he said, let me have the tape. And I bring it back to Baltimore. And this is like 1990, I'm listening. 1981, I'm listening, going to school, listening to him play recorded. I wish I still had been on stage. Recorded, harmonized trumpet. Who knew that that would be later with the Angelo? Right. And he created that style of layering overdub trumpets. And I, you know, and I, and I was pretty such good ears, good memory. He could lay a track and not listen to himself. Wow. And lay another one, knowing what he had already played, which made it so sublime. You know, it's wow. not like harmonizing with yourself. It's like knowing what took place and then making it off just a little bit. Um, so that was, you know, some of Roy's gifts. Of course, he had endurance for days. He could outplay anybody on the live. If you wanted to play next to him in a live jam session, would never you would like a prize fighter never gets tired. Like how uh uh what's the kid that doesn't get tired with fifty O's and no losses? Uh oh, wow. Mayweather. Mayweather, yes. Yeah, yes, he he liked that in the ring. You play him <laughs> next to him, right? When you at your height, you about to stop, Roy could go past you. Wow. Always had that extra in a live setting. Um, where I think the Holy Ghost would just come in. He had that Holy, he was a Holy Ghost trumpet player. He was a jazz trumpet player who could play God. Who, who was like, he was a gospel trumpet player who could play jazz for me. Wow. He's the only, his, his innovation was that R&B blues um, aspect and that Holy Ghost church aspect to the trumpet in my opinion. And for me, he was the greatest of this generation. Wow, may he rest in peace and thank you for sharing such vivid memories of him, man. Truly one of my favorites as well. So look, man, this hour has been flying by, but we have not talked about yet your brand new album. So please tell us about it. Oh, this album is incredible, man. It's called Walking Art. I wish that anybody could go pick it up and just have a one down listen and see the various things I do, I produced it, wrote it, and the string arrangements on it, some movie score-esque type intros and outros are on it. Um, it features my wife, Queen Sheik. It features Kamasi Washington on three cuts. It features Terrace Martin. It features Branford Marsalis on the first cut. It features um, Raheem Devon. Yeah. yeah, DMV. Kenyon Dixon, who's a writer for like Justin Timberlake and all these famous people. He's an artist coming out R&B, tearing up the circuit now on tour. Let us see, it features um, Bobby Sparks, um, like, I'm forgetting anybody, uh, Gary Thomas, Baltimore nice. legend, my mentor. Um, so many great artists are featured on it. And then it's like a old to vintage hip hop, 90s hip hop with a flair of jazz. You, you, you'll you hear some some of my nods to Tribe Called Quest, but then it's got Dante all through it. It's got me playing trumpet and rapping. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's straight ahead, but then I, I don't quantify music 
uh, into categories of straight ahead or not. I just think black art is to express what black art thinks at any given moment in time. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, the white gaze or corporate America should have, or critics should have any part in naming, categorizing, or compartmentalizing what black people feel or think at any given time in history. And most of these labels and radio stations, yeah, they do that to make money in corporate America and capitalism. But our souls, we've been bargained and, and bartered enough. Now, mm. You know, that was our thing in terms of slavery. Fit in this box, mix this with that, sell this, be a commodity. It's like, okay, when do we get to just be human? When right. do we get to wake up, breathe, think, and say, this is what I think today. So right. my album is, this is what I think right now about the world. You know, I talk about tough issues on um, Go Off, and I talk about love making on She Could Be, you know, the coming on of flirting with the idea of polyamory. I talk about hotel money, having a good time with the wife. I talk about still grind, meaning you got to still go out here and, and, and despite the odds, make a way for yourself, make provision, um, fight the odds, fight um, the struggles and the disappointments. Um, I trump it in the mic, I go into the history of me growing up in Baltimore and being a kid and taking private lessons and walking through the streets and seeing people being killed, but still, you know, practicing the trumpet every day and, you know, becoming a husband and father and the things that really matter, you know, when I was young, I thought, man, I just want to be a single guy and a, and a gigolo and travel the world and make money. You know, then <laughs> I grew up and said, what does that even mean? You, know, right. you, you can't even take, you can't take any of this stuff with you. There's so many no. people I know who are well, wealthy to be multimillionaires or even billionaires and they don't seem happy Mm-mm. um so what what is happiness why are we here those are the most important lessons in life and the most important questions and you know how can you find meaning um for me this record is about me finding me like as, as i record this project you're listening to a man who has found love who has found the deepest riches that god can give family I'm love, health, and in that space, I'm expressing my art. You know, I'm at the highest level of physical powers, my spiritual powers. I'm a king in my in my castle. I um, I'm a king. I'm a king in my castle. I am. Uh, I feel the innocence of my childhood. I feel like I live in a a peaceful world of holiness. Like even though there's calamity around all of us in war in my vessel and in my private space with my family there is peace and love my friend visited me the other day said man i got goosebumps walking into your house there's so much peace wow. and you couldn't give me a bigger comp a bigger compliment when i think yeah. about you know the rough childhood i grew up with in the hellish days you know seeing my mother beg for five dollars seeing her od and seeing men with guns seeing i've seen just horrors i've seen happen mm. around me and now i've seen god change that and use alchemy to wipe the wounds like the slate clean and say okay now go out and heal all this now that you've seen this my child and so art for me now my record or any project i do is going to be about the highest levels what is the highest level that i can achieve and craft um on this particular record there are no n-words i don't believe in um, self-deprecation or calling us less than what we are. I think the N-word is a, is a white man-created word and we tried to change it to give new meaning and power to it. But you can't really make a feces-covered donut not still be feces in the middle. Oh, man. You know? So for me, so there's no N-word on it. There's no B-word on it. 
It's just me talking real life stuff and man stuff and king stuff. It's a king record. This is for kings and queens to listen to. That's what it is. And you can be not a king or queen and listen to it. But I'm saying that's the intention. Those are the people I'm shooting for. And I'm trying to elevate and trying to bring us back to where we were, you know, to that. Nice. Well, we walking definitely, art. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that, that is walking art for sure. And everybody needs to get out there and check it out. Dante, it has been a pleasure, my brother. I love you from the bottom of my heart. Love Sheikah as well. And and Jedi, send him my love, man. I will. Oh, yeah, and Jedi's on my album, playing. too. Yeah, he's playing with me. As yeah. you can see on Instagram, he plays jazz with me. I told him piano. He's rapping on the record on Counting On Me. And he was 13, you know, just young man, so positive and amazing. Um, my little son, six-year-old, does the intro. So uh, the family business is music, and we're always going to try to heal the world as a unit. So thank you, man, for supporting us. I appreciate you. Most definitely, bro. Put your social media handles and website out there. For folks yes, you can reach me at, yep, my website is www.dantewinslow.com. That's D-O-N-T-A-E. You can all often spell it. My Instagram is at Dante Winslow, D-O-N-T-A-E-W-I-N-S-L-O-W at Dante Winslow. You can DM me, check me out for new updates where I'll be touring, where I'll be doing shows. Mostly I play online because we are in house in COVID. And uh, my Twitter is also at Dante Winslow. Well, there it is, folks. Be sure to tap in our special guest today on Cool Jazz Conversations, the incredible Dante Winslow, a brother that does it all, a trumpeter, a composer, a conductor. Did I say conductor already? Conductor, conductor yeah. A trumpeter, composer. He is a rapper. He is a vocalist. He is an educator. And uh, most of all, he is a good husband and father to mm, his That's number one. Well. Husband and father. Thank you, yes, man. Sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Family, that is going to do it for this edition of Cool Jazz Conversations. We do thank you for your ears. The program is a production of TVM Productions and is broadcast from its home of WSSB 90.3 FM at South Carolina. Carolina State University. Now you can listen to the podcast of this program on iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Alexa, Amazon Music, Player FM, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Or you can listen to and download it via www.cooljazzconversations.podbean.com. Do follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Cool Jazz Conversations. And we will talk to you next time right here on Cool Jazz Conversations. Peace.